Hi, hello, and welcome back to a new episode of Culture of the Day. So, I don't know if you've noticed, and maybe you haven't, but I'd highly recommend you go and listen to kind of like maybe like an excerpt of like next at last. Oh my Lord Jesus fucking Christ. I'd recommend that you go listen to um, an episode of last week or the week before, but I think you can notice that there is kind of an upgrade in terms of the quality sound, sound quality. Uh, I did invest in a mic, which is super exciting. It wasn't that expensive, but I don't know. It just feels very professional. Like I have this whole setup and I mean, as I am listening to it through like the recording, it sounds really fucking crisp. So yeah, there we go. Okay. Anyway, um, let's jump in, in today's theme. And I don't know how far close am I supposed to speak to the mic? Okay. I think I found my preferred distance, I guess. Um, but today's theme is family and community, um, with notions and my, like my sub theme is to be surrounded, to be loved and to be supported. Um, and I think that can like summarize very much the today's episode. Um, yeah, first of all, how are you doing? How was the week? I've had a crazy weekend. It's a Sunday. Um, I've been over the place. Like I keep being like, oh, you know, I need to stop running after time and I need to kind of like start doing my own thing. And you know, like, like stop spending or losing time doing so many other things and just like focus on what I have to do, do it. Like, you know, go to bed early, wake up early, like, you know, but I, yeah, I'm never quite fully satisfied of how established my routine is. Or maybe I'm just not satisfied with my routine. That might be another thing. Uh, I don't really know. Um, But anyway, um, but I'm saying I've decided this week is the week. Like I've been deciding for the past like three weeks. But uh, yeah, no, my weekend was mad. It was a lot of, a lot of time spent with friends. Quite a few catch-ups. It's been really lovely. But just because I've realized that. I haven't been as social as I wish to be, not in the sense of like going out and drinking and whatever, but just in the sense of talking and like linking and like connecting with people. And I'm really happy that I had this weekend. I'm very grateful, yeah, that I had this weekend to do so. Um, But yeah, on to today's episode. So I've been meaning to talk about family for like a while and family in the terms of like, you know, whatever, however you decide to understand it. Um, for reasons that are like various, but you know, mainly this podcast, I think of it as a conversation with a friend, except I'm doing most of the talking and I'm just being this random ass weird kid, you know, that's always sharing their like deep interest. Nobody gives a fuck about. Um, but I think that family is a very delicate subject, but it's a subject that I would naturally abord, aborder que j'aborderai forcément avec um, mes amis, and I consider you guys my friends, so you're in for a ride, let's fucking go, um, but more seriously, like in terms of family, um, I know that, you know, it's subject, it's delicate because it's, we all have trauma from family, built-in personality trait that we inherit from them, and 
whether we realize that or not, um, that trauma kind of like carries us and shapes us. Like so many of my friends I know are the way they are because of their parents. And that, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's a visible one. Um, and I am, I am definitely the product of my parents. I am my mother's daughter and my father's daughter as well. I am very much, um, I wouldn't say the worst of them both, but not too far away. Um, but you know, um, I mean, I personally love my family, um, despite, you know, like all the things, my teenage year and like the drama and like the fights and like making your own identity because I do think that's quite normal. Um, but I know, and especially now I do recognize and appreciate how lucky I am to be supported and cared for in a way that is genuine, despite being clumsy, you know, because we're all trying our best and there is not right one right way to show your love and care for someone. Like you just try your best and, and, you know, sometimes your best is not enough, even enough, but that's not what we're going to talk about today. Um, but yeah, I, I would be a completely different person if it wasn't for my parents, obviously, but especially if it wasn't for my sister and my cousin, um, for them holding me to a certain standard, for advising me when I complain and expose certain behaviors around me, for supporting me throughout everything, for the things I've not told them and probably never will, um, for the things unsaid and for the quality time spent together. They're like the OG writer guy. Um, however, as I've referenced a bit earlier, family is not only blood. Um, found family is very beautiful and very dear to me and it's not something I've kind of like deeply realized before I got into college um, I think it's one of the most genuine thing because it's those person that will hold space for you regardless they'll be there and they'll care and and that's just you know like to find someone who's willingly doing that because you know family Usually we kind of like go about like, oh, it's blood. Like I'm here for you through thick and thin because we're blood. But to find the complete stranger that's willing to do that for you, I think is precious. And it is also one of the most, the purest and most beautiful trope that I got to see in media. Um, and I'm saying that because I'll reference it later in one of the shows that I'm going to talk about. But I think, I think the reason I appreciate it so much, like I was saying, it's because you choose a person and you're like, that's going to be one of my person and you just hold on to them for as long as possible. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't work out and sometimes you guys end up falling in and out. But, you know, for the while that it was there, I think it was goddamn beautiful. Um, but let's move on to music. Um, so the first song I'm going to share with you guys. And I don't know, I feel like the song was a bit weird and a bit lower. But I don't want to like breathe into the mic either. So I guess I'll have to do and pray for the best. Um, but the song I'm going to share, well, the first song I'm going to share today, because today we're doing it at the mix and match version of the music, not the like one artist. But you you know what? You, you know that by now. Um, and the first song is Everything I Wanted by Billie Eilish. Say, as long as I am here, no one 
So this song is a song from Billy to Phineas, her brother. And um, I mean, in terms of like everyday life, we've kind of like, they've like, you know, Phineas is like a co-producer, co-writer of all of Billy's music. Like they're very close to one another. Um, but the song is about, um, if I remember correctly, this dream she had of jumping off a bridge and that no one would notice but her brother and that her brother, when she would jump, would jump right along with her. Um, and I relate to this one a lot because, uh, the love I have for my sister is a very messy and a very sincere one. It doesn't always show in the way that I think it does, but I do, I do care for her so much. Um, she's my ride or die and I know that we would brave hell or high water for each other. doesn't matter how we feel about each other in the moment. It just like, I guess maybe it's a principle, maybe it's stupid, I don't know, but it's very sincere. Um, and I, I would go to war for her. Um, I don't know, and I think to like, you know, have this bond portrayed in music and have, you know, someone be like, yeah, this is how I feel. And you feeling the same way is always like, you know, kind of like, it's always nice. Um, but yeah, I remember when we were, um, we weren't really close when I was younger. And then I came back for college, COVID happened, we grew super, super close. And I remember that during that time, my mom used to call me like a French version of the devil advocate. Um, she called me Dupont-Moretti because everything that she would tell my sister, I'd be like, no, but actually that's not, that's not the way it happened. She didn't do that. No, it's not her fault. Like I would just jump to her events like instantly. Like I wouldn't even realize that I'm doing it. I'll just instantly be like, no, don't, don't, don't. She didn't do anything wrong. She's so precious. She, I support her rights, and more importantly, I support her wrong. And I don't know, I think that's very precious. And then the next song is Older by Sasha Alex Sloan. Every little fight, cause neither one was right. So I'd never be like them. But I was just a kid back then. The older I get, the more that I see. really like this song and it's a song i've discovered i think around the time that it was just released um i i'm just thinking of ways i want to say this but this one is definitely more about like parents um not about like sibling love or care um and i feel like at least in the people around me there is a lot of resentment that we built up against our parents for how they brought us up, um, for the trauma they might have passed down to us, and the traumas they have created within us. It's something real, and it's something I think it shouldn't be, but it is quite normal, because I, and I think this song portrays it really well, it's just like, they're just trying their best most of the time, um, and yeah, like, I know that, you know, like, it's a lot of, like, healing the inner child from trauma, and experience that has been experienced um but i think this song is also about growing up and understanding that our parents are just human beings they have trauma um 
they are just navigating their identity and and you know it's about i think holding them accountable for the hurt they've caused while giving them grace for raising you to be a critical self-sufficient human being at least i think so and there was actually this quote when i was recording the music for older that said that when we are born we love our parents and then we grow up and we judge them and then as we grow older we forgive them um and i think it's very i think it's an oscar wilde quote but don't take my word for it but i don't know i think yeah it's very delicate because it's like you need to be like i understand where you're coming from but it's also drawing boundaries of being like you still have to take accountability for how that you know i mean and i think you see what i'm what i'm trying to say but i just listen to this and i often like kind of like get teary eyes because i'm just like they're just they're they're just trying their best they're just babies well they're not but you know what i mean um and i don't know i think it's just like kind of this good song to realize that you can hold them accountable and you know you can like be like that's it and i actually i don't i don't want to give you grace and that's fine you know to each their own but i don't know to me it's like you know i guess perhaps it's being grateful perhaps it's just being graceful either one um yeah and then the following songs it's actually something i've never done but um other songs that i've learned to love and grew up with through my parents uh so there's one for my mama and there is one for my dad um so the first one is ikunguli's um nursery rhyme that's what they call it and it's called ulili muli bamakasi So yeah, it's a nursery line. It's a continent for enfants. Um, and it is about um, the current and how strong the current is. And uh, as I kind of Googled it, because, you know, it's just, for me, it's, it's in my continent de quand j'étais petite, et puis j'ai pas besoin de savoir de du pourquoi, du comment. But it was used on piano to paddle in rhythm and kind of like, you know, get the... Um, it's one of my favorite songs to this day like i'm just like i'm getting emotional just because i listen to it it's it's very dear to my heart and if i ever decide to decide to have children one day it's gonna be a staple in my household because it just it feels like a warm hug it feels like a hug from my mom and my fuck are those precious um um, oh my god, um, do I want to include that? Because I completely forgot that I put another one of my mom's... No, I think it's going to be just an anecdote. One of the one of my mom, because I was talking about my mama, um, one of her favorite present-day songs is Thinking Out Loud by Ed Sheeran, which I for me is a very, a very funny thing. Like, I don't understand. 
I, it's a good song. Don't get me right. Don't go. Oh my God. I swear my one brain cell is focused right now. Um, it's a good song. Like I, it's a, I listen to it. And I just like, damn, Oh, to be in love. Um, but I don't know. I feel this is a very interesting choice. Um, but then, um, for my dad, I kind of, I had the artist in mind. I just didn't know which song, but I got to keep it classic. I got to keep the core favorites. I don't know what's happening with me. Um, but this is Once Upon a Time in the West by Dire Straits. Um, and it's the alchemy life. Like I was saying, I was, I was really debating which song to put because my dad really got back into Dire Straits. It's a band he used to listen to when he was younger, and he really got back into them. I think I think it was twenty 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 actually. I think it was before I went to New York, um, and he was listening to Sultan of Swing, and I mean, it's a great album. Um, well, it's a great band rather. Um, but recently, my favorite, I was thinking of putting Lady Rider because it's the one I'm like, I've been listening to nonstop for the past like five months. But um, yeah, Once Upon a Time in the West is really, it's, it's just, I like the band. I don't know how to, it's, I like it. it. Like the music, the rhythm, the funky vibe. It's just, it's groovy and I fuck with that. It's just, it's, a, I I'm, honestly think you should like get, give it a listen. It's a great band. Um, but yeah, now we're going to move to, I think, what is going to be the lengthiest part of this podcast, which is the show. So um, I'm going to briefly say what, which show I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about This Is Us. And I'm going to talk about Station 19. So if you know, you know, brace yourself because I'm going to be chatting. Um, so This Is Us. Um, so if you haven't watched it, um, you're in for a good ride and it's this definitely a show that I recommend to everyone um, if you like the themes of life um, in whatever way it manifests itself coincidences and like you know people meant to be and and people m- meant meant to meet I think is what I was trying to say um, it's definitely a great show for you um, this is us folk oh my what is going on let me give, give me a second. So, this is us follows the Pearson family. So, 
Jack and Rebecca, the parents, and then Kevin, Kate, and Randall, the triplets, um, through multiple timeline or times. So basically from Jack and Rebecca's youth, from like when they were like five to the old age of their children. So when like the big three are about 70, I think, um, the show exemplify the beauty of the everyday life and the love that family has for one another. But it's just, it does it in a way that's just so natural, but so beautiful, but it's not even trying to be overly beautiful. It's just, it is. And I think that makes it even more beautiful to me. Um, but the show focuses on the butterfly effect quite a lot. How action from a stranger shape your whole life and how then you intern shapes, you intern shape someone else's life. Um, it's about being kind, it's about being human, it's about love, and it's about family. And I, if I cry during this, please forgive me. It is, it is a very sensitive t- show to me. Um, the, show, the whole show runs on the deep love of Jack and Rebecca that they have for one another. And listen, listen, if you know, you know, but do not get me started on Jack Pearson because this man, even as a ghost, this man is winning. He's taking all the ladies. Um, Homie G's, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what was in him, but I don't know. But Homie G was a real one. Um, and God knows Jack isn't perfect. Like you see it in the show. He has an alcohol problem just like his dad did. And his dad was abusive of his mom. Um, which, in, and of him and his brother, Nikki, which, you know, has shaped him and kind of like how he approached fatherhood, which was, it, it was beautiful because he was like, you know, I don't want to be like my father. And then he kind of started turning into his father without the violence, but still, you know, the drinking and everything. Um, but yeah, but it is something that culminates uh, to the first season. So at the end of season one, um, oh my God. I'm going to cry. I'm thinking about the scene and I'm going to cry. But that, and it's a bit of a spoiler, but not much. At the end of season one, Rebecca asks him to leave the house. He needs to get better. And he needs to kind of like review how he... Because he's kind of... I think he's kind of like so driven by like working and, you know, providing for his family that he doesn't realize that kind of like he's not there anymore. Um, but he still loves his family dearly. But there's this scene where he goes to get his bag and then kind of comes back down... And he has this whole like monologue about why he loves Rebecca because the reason Rebecca was kind of like being like, okay, you need to go is that they were just parents to the children and they were kind of like, and she was like, you can't tell me why, you, you don't know why you love me. I'm just convenient. And he has this like, I forgot about it, but just remember, it's this beautiful monologue. Like even Rebecca is crying and it's just so beautiful of like all the reason why he fell in love with her and why he loves her to this day. Um, but yeah, um, but that is around the time the big three are 15 to 16, because I'm also kind of like trying to keep a timeline there, um, which is not long before Jack's death, which is not something I realized because, you know, it's the first season it happens and then like you have five other seasons that unfold and it's different times, but in my mind, it's still so far away, but in like the timeline of the show, it's like a couple of, I think a year or so before Jack dies. Um, but yeah, the show is really held up by Jack and Rebecca's love and how it permeates through their children. Um, I mean, if you, if you focus on Randall, Randall sp- has spent all his life trying to be like Jack, um, which he has succe- succeeded without 
error, but it's also because Randall on the show is adopted, and so he's kind of like feel like him having to stand in for Jack after Jack's died, after Jack dies. It's kind of like the only way he can really like earn his place in the family, you know, because Rebecca is now alone and he's like, you know, I'll be that for her. Not in a weird incesty way, but just in like kind of like, you know, being the man that his father wanted him to be. Um, but then you have Kevin and the Kevin is actually, and I'm going to cry. Oh my God. Kevin was actually the only one that wasn't in the house when, um, and that wasn't there when Jack died. So when Jack died, they actually had to like, I think he was at a bonfire or something and they had to wake him up. Like, I think they called Sophie, his girlfriend at the time. And they're like, Kevin has to come right now. And it just, oh my God. And that was really hard because before um, Kevin left that day, he had a big fight with Jack. And Jack was, I think, talking to him about responsibilities and, you know, being a good person. Um... And that kind of like all his life, mainly after 36, because that's when the show starts. And I think it's the age. Well, it's the, it's the first episode because it's Jack's birthday. Jack's turning 36. Rebecca is pregnant beyond possible. And then in the present, it's the big three's birthday because they were in fact born the same day as their father, which is August 8th, I believe. Um, but after that, like, which is when the show, you know, starts to focus on him, he tries to do better. And I think to relinquish, to relinquish some form of connection with his dad. And that goes through so many things, like, and that, that mainly kind of, like, comes to a roundabout when he, um, looked for his uncle Nicky, so Jack's younger brother. And that gets him to try and be a proper person you know um and you know he then becomes a father and then becomes a partner and so he's just you know being all of those but in a proper way like a proper brother and a proper human being even though there's this big fight i think is end of season four with randall which we'll will not talk about is i will not talk about this fight because this fight had me in tremble a big mm, things were said mm -mm, mm -mm. but anyway um, in this weird way, Kevin is also, like, quite the copy of Jack. I mean, he also had, like, he is the copy of Jack, but in a completely different way than Randall. Um, because there was also this whole arc where Kevin was an alcoholic, like his father, and kind of, like, picked himself up from rock bottom. And that's when he tried to become a better person and kind of, like, you know, find meaning and purpose in his life. And, you know, a lot of, like, the following seasons, so from, I'd, seen, I'd say from season two to six, is for him at least is about finding finding his purpose and you know coming to term with the guilt that he feels after you know like leaving like you know having his dad died while they were like on fighting term you know I don't I don't really know how to explain it but it's the way Randall and ja and Kevin or Jack is very different from one another but it makes complete utter sense um, and then there is Kate and. Kate's journey, which I actually didn't write about it, but Kate's journey kind of like, I think is more around like her body image, her weight, which, you know, is something that like is present since the early season, like the early age of Kate. And also as well coming to term with kind of like the guilt of, you know, 
losing her dad um because in the first season and by the way me talking about jack's death is like something you learn within like the first 30 minutes of the first episode of the first season um and kate is actually the one holding the ashes of jack not rebecca not randall not kevin her and it's because she feels guilty about because there is a reason that well we can't say for sure but the reason jack died is because basically there was a fire in the house and he went back to get kate's dog and they think that that's I'll, I'll go explain onto that later but you know there's this guilt with her about oh my god no um but what else can i say about this show and i say that as i have like five paragraphs left of notes um the show navigates the ramification within the family um so not only focusing on the pearson but also focusing on the partners and like you know the people they meet Um, so it focuses on Toby's life. So Toby was Kate's husband, but they ended up getting a divorce, which I'm really mad about. Um, like, anyway, but his depression and also his divorce with Kate, which, like, when I tell you this is pissing me, like, that is one, okay, that was kind of, like, the, one of the big mistakes of the show, but then it made so much sense that I can't even be mad at it, but I'm still mad. Um, and then there was, you know, Zoe, who was navigating her relationship to motherhood while dating Kevin, which is also the reason they ended up breaking up. Zoe being Randall's wife's cousin. Uh, and I'll get to Beth in a second because Beth is my girly. But this, I say to this day, and I'll die on this here, that Kevin and Zoe should have been fucking endgame. They were so fab together. Like, there's this whole episode where he orders her like a um, silk pillowcase because, you know... Um, Kevin is white and Zoe, I think, is either biracial or black. But, you know, there is this whole notion of, like, you know, like, care for the hair that he he partakes in because he loves her and he wants to, like, you know, understand her. And he's like, it's a new thing for him, but he's, you know, A for effort. And they were so cute. And, like, you know, she's the person that's there for him when he learns about everything that happens with Nikki in Vietnam. And, I don't know, I just think they should have been, they should have dated. They should have, like, stayed together. Um, but then also there is this focus on Deja's life and Deja was, is the first daughter, well, in terms of age, the first daughter of, uh, Randall and Beth. So of Randall's family. So Randall has three girls, Deja, um, oh my God. And I forgot about the two other, um, there's a really cute one, the really young, cute one. And then there was the middle one that I don't really like because she had this whole face. I was so fucking annoying. But anyway, um, there's also Beth's relationship with her dad, which is my man, Carl Lumby, who played in like Supergirl, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, SWAT, and most recently the fall of Usher like this. He, he's my guy. Um, and you know, and her relationship to dance, which had this beautiful Leon Lahavas live version of I Say a Little Prayer, which I have for you right here.
beautiful song and I'm always into like to share it with people um because I don't know it's just precious and it feels like waking up on not on a Sunday morning but on a Saturday morning the sun is coming through your apartment like everything is showered in light and you're just peaceful and you're just with someone that you care about whether that be romantic or platonic whatever you you know what feels right for you and you kind of just like feel peace like it's an early morning and you're having coffee in the living room and you know maybe you're doing a puzzle right on the coffee table and yeah the sun is shining through and you feel cozy and you kind of look at them and you look at the situation like you know that the, like the whole room and you're like oh my god this is what heaven heaven feels like at least to me um but going back to this is um the show had so many great moments and almost all episode had me in tears like when i used to watch it with my sister because it's a show i've discovered with my sister so leave me alone obviously I told you she's my bestie um every episode we were crying like it was just silent and we're just like (laughs) and just like both of us wiping our tears and i was like yep that sounds about fucking right um but i remembered when i watched the last 10 episode of the show because i moved to dublin right um and so couldn't watch it with my sister anymore and i was kind of like put it on pause because like life was lifing seasonal depression was whooping my ass left and right you know i just just wanted a little break um but then, you know, I, I had this resolution of like, oh, each month I'm going to finish watching this show that I have left, right? And so that month was, this is us. And I think that was about, I'd say it was about maybe February, but I'm not sure. I think it was, it was about two weeks after the show ended. So maybe a February, March. I think it was February rather. But, oh my God. And I, I was a bit reluctant because, you know, I knew that Zoe and Kevin weren't going to be together. Um, so leave me alone. But I was mad about that. So I was just like, nah. Um, but, uh, fun fact, it took me about an hour to watch the second to last episode because I kept crying too much. And I'm not talking about like glamorized crying of like, oh, wiping the tear off my cheek very like delicately. No, I'm talking sobbing. I'm talking snot, snot, snot coming out my nose. I'm red. My, I, I have like a migraine. Uh, my forehead is warm. Like I look ugly. My face is all wrinkly because of how sad it was and it wasn't even sad it was beautiful but it was like you were like 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 even now i could cry for that it was just mm, it was just beautiful but um those last episode was were really good and that episode in particular had this perception of the afterlife or maybe it's just like the couple of minutes before your soul kind of leaves the body it was beautifully done and you know in the last episode we got to see the og big the og big three I think it was from age two to six it was such a throwback because the episode in the present which spoiler alert was rebecca's funeral um so it was like you know like this and like you know the eulogy randall's eulogy and just like them talking and them coming to term randall possibly running for like president of the u.s which slay i guess um but then in the past it was this just regular ran- random random sunday at the pearson's house there was nothing extra was just jack teaching the boys how to shave rebecca spending some quality time with kate and then uh them all reminiscing looking at old vhs of them and i think that was just a very this is us ending this episode is going to be an hour i feel it um 
but and speed through it. But I'm going to talk about a couple of my favorite scenes. The first one is in season one. Um, Kevin has left his like show on the menu, which is kind of like a lame rom-com weird like TV show. Um, and he's doing his first Broadway production. Right. So it's big for him because he's like, I'm going to be taken like for like, you know, I'm going to be taken seriously like as an actor. And throughout that season, Randall is coming to term with his adoption and his um, birth dad, who in fact knows Rebecca. Um, but Rebecca's kept him away from Randall his life, all his life. But anyway, so that builds up and Randall is a very perfectionist person. And so when he was a kid, he had those periods where he would just like aim so high that he would just crumble and have a terrible. I'm going to cry. Just have a terrible panic attack. Oh, il est monté en fin de. And you have this scene where, like, Jack is kind of like comforting him. And so Kevin has this. Um, Kevin has this. So he's at the Broadway production. It's about to open. Like, the curtain is about to lift. And then all of a sudden, he leaves because Randall isn't there. So he leaves the, the theater, runs to Randall's office, <laughs> finds Randall on the ground crying and you know having a full meltdown and he just sits with him and just like let him cry and when i tell you like i'm like you, you hear my voice like to this day that has just always gotten to me um but yeah and then the other one is a very sad one and it's the scene where rebecca learns that jack died so because the episode of jack death like during season two you know that that's when he's gonna die like that's when they're gonna show his death but you don't kind of like know how. And so in that episode, there is a fire in the house. They all escape. Jack goes back for the fucking dog. Like I was telling earlier, still makes it out alive. So you're like, oh my God, that's it. Like, you know, we're, we're safe for another episode. Um, they go to the hospital. Um, Rendell, Rendell and Kate are at Miguel's house, which was Jack's best friend. And later on, Rebecca's second husband, which is not, it's not as bad as it sounds. Like, you know, we don't got to talk about this. But anyway, Jack and Rebecca are in the hospital. Um, so mind you, in season three or later, when um, Kevin actually goes to find, like, um, Nikki and they learn about Vietnam, they, so, they show this, like, flashback of Jack not being able to enroll because he had a heart issue. And little did we know. So Jack is in a hospital in the room getting, like, you know, checked up. Everything is fine. He should be ready to go home in a couple of minutes. Well, not home, but you know, go, go out. Um, Rebecca's like, do you want to eat anything? Goes to the vending machine. Um, as Rebecca is, or like, you know, getting the, the, the chocolate bar from the vending machine, you see doctors rolling out in the background, yelling for a code blue. Rebecca is fine. And then you see the doctor, Jack's doctor approaching. Um, and so he, she's on the phone and then, you know, he comes to her and he's like, I have some very sad news. And she's like, she takes a, bi a bite of the chocolate. I'm going to cry. I swear I'm fine. Um, and so she takes a bite of the chocolate bar. And she's like, what do you mean? Like, And he's like, your husband died. And she's like, well, no, are you mad? I was just with him five minutes ago. My husband is grand. Like, get away from me, you crazy man. And so she goes to the room and she's like talking to him before she gets there, you know, being like, Jack, can you believe this? And then she, it's kind of like, a, a, um, so the scene is her coming into the room and you see Jack's body in the in the like the the window of the door, like the reflection. So it's like facing her, but you see Jack's reflection, and she just collapses. She just, she just, and it's like oh, oh, she just collapses. And when I tell you, like I don't know if Mandy Moore ever got an Emmy for that, but she should have. Even though I 
don't want to talk about her now but anyway this was such a beautiful scene and it was such a beautifully it was so beautifully done like i'm telling you this oh but overall this show has just been a show that's been like consistent throughout um it's like the only show that like throughout those eight years like this almost a decade has never disappointed me and never let me down now we're moving on onto station 19 and if you're in for like the whole hour like kudos to you um station 19 is basically found family personified and i could talk about this show for ages i forced my cousin to watch this i'll talk everybody's ear off about it i've sent so many tiktoks to my friend to my boyfriend about it because it's so good um i love it so much that like i was tearing up writing about the characters and the storyline because they are so precious to me this, this is not even a joke but station 19 is a spin-off of Grey's anatomy and it's focusing on the firehouse 19 in seattle in it, you will find Ben Warren, Dr. Miranda Bailey's husband, but also Dr. Karina De Luca, which is Andrea's older sister and Maya Bishop's wife. Um, then, talking about the car- the character in season one, the firehouse is compromised. It's comprised. It's c'est compris de il y a Pruitt Herrera and his daughter Andrea, Jack Gibson, also by Andrea as in like Karina's brother is a different Andrea. Anyway, Andy. So Pruitt Herrera and, and his daughter Andy, Jack Gibson, Dan Miller, Maya Bishop, Ben Warren, Travis Montgomery, and my precious little darling, Victoria Hughes. I will go to war for Victoria. Mm, do not try me. Then by season six, you also have um, additional cast such as Robert Sullivan, Theo Ruiz, which if I catch you, Becky, I... Mm, no if you know you know um sean beckett and fire chief natasha ross who replaced my beloved beloved lucas ripley which we'll get into um but the show is really good it's a very everyday life vibe granted they're firefighter but you know what i mean like you know it's just like their everyday life like you know like families and like traumas and like navigating who you are but then kind of like that always falling under the theme of like 19 as a family um and they did in the first season they really did a great job at showcasing every character's personality and just navigating their flaw and how that comes in later on because i was doing a rewatch the one i did with my cousin and i noticed how maya kept warning like andy and jack about why she didn't want to be a lieutenant because she knew that the moment she would start she'd become the most heavily competitive person and that is exactly what happened and she lost her friend she almost lost her wife because of that. But anyway, the best redemption arc for me are obviously my little Maya Bishop because, um, you know, she, like, she, she, she needs a break. Like, give Maya a break. But I also think Andy because Andy used to piss me off. The first, like, Andy season one, two, three, I cannot bear her. I, mm, if I, ooh, I, mm, I could get violent. She was so goddamn fucking annoying. Being like, no, I don't want to do that. I want to do it my own way. I don't want to do it. Anyway, um, but then following that, she becomes more mature and like more understanding and stops living in her father's shadows, but stops living in the men around, like for the men around her, which I think is like great because then by season six, um, when they make her caption of 19, which is a spoiler alert, but it's something they like hint at since the first season. It makes so much sense. Like 
I hated Andy in the first three seasons, but when she got caps, she got she made captain in season six. I was just like, yeah, absolutely, nobody deserves it more than she does. Um, and then I want to talk about my precious little baby, which is Vic Victoria. Like, I love Victoria. She oh, she's so precious. Uh, she's my precious little golden star. She deserves the world. And for me, it really, she really is the essence of what Station 19 aims to be, which is good and caring and strong and thriving for change and calling out how things can be improved. And she's such a bubbly and adorable human being. And, you know, in, but in season two, you kind of get really a sense of her through her relationship with Ripley. Granted, they moved way too fast. Like they got together, like they were like together and talking about marriage in like 10 episodes. But that's before Shonda decided to do what Shonda does fucking best, a.k.a. killing your beloved character. And Shonda, spoiler alert, will kill Lucas Ripley at the end of season two, two at the end of season two. Um, but that was a great arc because it was so unexpected. But their chemistry really carried through the show. Like, I'm just, they were unreal. Like, I just, like, and he was older than her. And I'm, I'm not for like age gap this is not a thing for me I, I don't find it appealing in any way they just worked so well they really did um but then you also get a sense of her through season four as the show focuses on the murder of george floyd by Derek chauvin and the pressure that she feel, feels as a biracial woman because she has to care for her black colleagues her her black friends black male friends rather namely miller warren and sullivan as Two of them, like Miller and Sullivan, actually got arrested and spent the night in a cell at some point because they were trying to save two black girls from being like that were kidnapped by some guy. Um, and, you know, but she realizes that, yes, you know, kind of like comes to this realization and verbalize it with her mom as like Victoria's character. Her mom's white and her dad is black. And so she talks to her mom and comes to term about, yes, the police system is brutal towards black men. However, black women are completely forgotten about altogether. They die, they get kidnapped, they get brutalized, they get raped, and nobody really notices, nobody really cares about it. And then I think it was about in the same episode when um, her parents' shop gets burnt down by looters, and she has this whole monologue to the press because the press is like, see, like, looters are terrible. Like, um, you know, like, they're not doing it for the best interest. And she's like, you know, saying that, like, if, her parents' shop getting destroyed is what it takes for people to wake up, then so be it. And it is such a strong episode, and I was bawling by the end. Bert Doss really brings kind of like this quiet but firm strength to the character that I found really magnetic. Like, Vic as a character is just so magnetic. Like, you see her, and she smiles, and you're just like, absolutely, I want you in my team. Um, and the one last thing I'll talk about for Station 19 is Vic and Travis's relationship. And it's one of the it's the highlight of the show for me um, because they are the one friendship that has held up throughout the sixth season. The other friendships, someone has either died, Miller, or the friendship died down um, because of behaviors, um, Maya and Andy, namely. Um, but what I love about Travic um, is how about it's like how organic it feels. It's not something that's a big focus, except maybe when Replay dies and then when Travis is kind of like coming to term with like you know. I guess, like, stepping in another phase of his grief over his husband that died two years prior to the show. But it's it's not usually the center. It's just, like, it's in the background. And, you know, like, Vic and Travis aren't the main protagonists. Like, 
season two maybe for Vic through her love story with Ripley and maybe season four for Travis when he starts getting into politics and confronting his dad's behavior but that might be season five I don't know um but other than that they're just like kind of there but they just make it work like god damn it like so many scenes and oh my god I wanted to oh my this is gonna be so long I'm so sorry guys um Oh, you know what? I'll, I won't insert it, but I think you should check it out. There's this scene where um, Vic is dating Theo, and Theo is, spoiler alert again, the reason why Travis, his husband, died. And so he's like, you know, Theo's like, I understand. He's your best friend. And she's like, what the fuck are you just say to me? Travis is not my best friend. He is part of me. And she quotes all those things, like how she took, like, Travis went to jail for Vic. Because someone, like, insulted her behind her back, and he just started whooping ass. Like, he took her into her house. Like, they've been there for each other through thick and thin. And she just has this great thing where she's just like, he's part of me. And I'm just like, yes, you tell him. Um, But the way they're so natural with one another, it's like they share a soul and and a brain cell as well. (laughs) But I just absolutely and utterly adore it. Um, and one fail-proof ways to make me cry is give me an edit of traffic. Whether it's happy, sad, funny, I will, I'll, I'll be crying. Immediately I'll be crying. That and Vic and Baby Prue. Because God knows I love this child. Baby Prue deserves everything. Okay, now we're moving to the book part. And I feel like this is a bit rushed because it is a bit rushed because I'm trying to make it under the hour. Um, but the book I'm going to talk about is Breast and Egg by Nico Kawakami. And it's such a good book. I should have talked about it during my Women in Their Everyday Life because it fit the theme so bad, especially in regards to something that's very dear to my heart and something I'm still very much trying to figure out, which is motherhood. Um, the book is currently with my dear friend, Ruta. Um, and I actually found it in Oxfam and I was so thrilled because I was like, oh my God, I want to read it. Um, but I forgot the names of the characters, which isn't my bad. Um... But the book is split in two parts. The first one is on breasts and the second one is on egg, I'd argue. The first part focuses on the protagonist who's receiving her sister and her niece in Tokyo for a couple of days. The sister wants to get a breast, a breast enhancement surgery and the, her niece, like the sister's daughter, doesn't really talk and hasn't done so for a couple of years. She just kind of like notes everything on a journal and kind of like refuses to say a word to her mom. Um, a lot of tension arises during their three-day trip and we get to have the niece's point of view, which is, you know, she's kind of like resenting her mom for her mom's obsession with like beauty and physicality. But it's also depending on like her mom's job and the way they were raised as children because the protagonist and her sister used to live with um, their mom and their father and their father was a drunk, abusive man. And one day their mom had the bravery to just like grab both of them in the middle of the night and just leave to go live at their grandmother's and never looked back. And you do see how deeply that shapes them in their own singular way. And the protagonist is a writer, um, but she's still in the first book, first part, working on her first novel, which culminates towards the end of the first part, which I won't spoil because I do think it's like, it's a great book that should be experienced. Um, but the second part focused solely on the protagonist. She has now published her first book. It was a success, but now she has to write the second one. But her interests are moving on to having a child. Um, so you have through her whole journey, she wants to have a child by herself. 
So, you know, researching about it, understanding under which format she wants to do so, uh, you know, sperm donor or like actual, like, you know, that being someone you know, that being someone you don't know. Um, falling in love and seeing old colleagues have, who have children and kind of like understanding what it means to be a mother. And at the end, she does take a decision that I think is really brave. And one of the reasons why I love the book so much, which is that she has a man that she is in love with, but decides to have the child on her own. And he is the donor, but that's her child. And she wants to navigate that on her own. And I think it's beautiful. Um, but yeah, the whole the whole book is basically a lot of back and forth on her decision, realizing what is best for her, kind of stepping away from men and just, you know, being there for her and like, you know, holding herself accountable and just, you know, holding herself to a certain standard in order to raise her child. Um, you know, that being her journey and her, hers only. And I think that is beautiful. It's a great book. And it, it was, it was at a point in life where I was just really navigating if I wanted to ever, ever, ever take part of motherhood. Um, and it's, a, it's definitely a book I'll reread again because it's done so purely. And, you know, they taught, they have this thing where, um, one of the characters tells her, like, imagine you're, there's a cabin in the middle of the forest. You go in and ten children are sleeping peacefully. You wake them up, you know that nine of them will have a great life. But you know that at least one will be miserable, will wish that he was never, they were, that they were never born, and would will wish for death at some point. Like, you know, like, you know that one of those ten children is going to resent life forever. Do you still decide to wake them up or not? And I thought that was just beautiful. And I remember just like highlighting that and just being like, you know, the wind being knocked out of my lungs and just being like, oh. Um, the way this book is written is just beautiful. The stylist makes me think of Murakami and like the sense of like the astute description and the focus on details. But it's much more pleasant to read. It's careful, it's honest. There is no weird sexualization of, of underage women. It's not weird, like, it's airy sometimes, but it's not weird, like Murakami, where you just be like, what in the fuck? Um, it is a great book, and I really, really would recommend it. Um, and I'm sorry I kind of rushed through this last part. Um, I knew when I wrote the, the, the transcript that it was going to be fucking long, but I'm sorry that it's been so long. Um... I wish you a great week. Um, happy Monday. Well, happy Sunday. Happy Monday. You know it. Like, um, I hope if you listen till the end, um, cheers. I appreciate you. And I'm very grateful that you take the time out of your life, your day, your week, your month to listen to me. Um, I'm sending you love wherever you are in the world. Um, and I hope you have a great week. I'll see you soon. Lots of kisses. Marion. Peace out. <laughs> okay. Super.